Hello, survivors. Annie here with the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Show. Since August 2020, when we launched the show, I have been excited to put together incredible stories and interviews to share with you as you go through your divorce. It never ceases to amaze me that it feels like I may never run out of topics to bring you. Each month, as I begin to brainstorm who is next on my list to contact, or I field emails from people interested in being on the show, I always have this stupid niggling feeling deep in my gut of, what are we going to talk about that we haven't already? And then guest after guest, month after month, the topics just flow so naturally, like the most amazing trickle of clear, crisp mountain stream bubbling down the mountainside. I literally have a typed list of 60 topics to pull from if I need to. And half the time, I don't even have to open the document because the guest comes with a story or a passion or a conversation they want to have, or they're prepared to have, or they've shared with us others about, and they just feel called to share this. And here we are again. But I have to say that today's guest did something new for me. She came into my queue of podcast guests on an important but fairly mundane topic of how to gain substantive employment to begin a self-sustaining career as you go through a divorce. And I think her lived experience of that is going to be evident in her story today. But the topic then that rose to the surface for me as she shared her story actually had me in tears. She has such a powerful story that it has been published on 7 billion ones. And side note, if you don't know, 7 billion ones is an ongoing nonprofit movement striving to change the world through people and their stories. And by the love and support of friends like you and I, they have photography, films, website, written stories, and even community events of 7 billion ones, all made possible by donations from people like you and I from all walks of life that identify and believe in the power of telling your story of recovery to actually make this movement possible. So please consider a tax deductible gift today to help 7 billion ones continue sharing important life changing stories of people just like you or like our guest today, Shannon, and go read a few today, including Shannon's story at www.7billionones.com. That's the number seven billion ones.com. Today's guest is Shannon Joy. Welcome, Shannon. Hello. Hey, nice to have you. I could not be more excited to be here with you to hear your whole story on how you ended up choosing your legacy after a lifetime of abuse. Would you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself right now in your life? Absolutely. My name is Shannon Joy, and I actually have two businesses. I have a creative business with my art and I call myself an inspirational artist. And so I paint with the idea that the emotions I convey on the canvas help other people to have a life that is more inspired and reminds them to make their life a masterpiece. And then I also own Hey Girl Marketing with my partner and we do digital marketing. And so that combination has been rather fun. (laughs) I bet. Lots of creative stuff. (laughs) Definitely creative. Um, And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. As far as my story goes, I have not always been the successful businesswoman who (laughs) has kind of fought for that. So yeah, 
Well, we'll get into that, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, without further ado, I just want you to get right into the story and start all the way back at the beginning of your life. I know that's where it all began for you from from what I read on your story. So I just want to hear in your perspective, how you got where you are today and where it all began. Awesome. Well, whenever I tell people my story, one of the major responses that I get is, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And for a long time, I thought I needed to keep it that way. I thought I needed to hide. And I had a lot of history that I felt needed to be locked away and couldn't be out in the world. And I grew up in poverty. We didn't have electricity a lot of times. There were holes in the walls. We couldn't afford the trash bill. In the winter months, all eight kids slept together on the dining room floor because we had a wood-burning stove in that room. And honestly, I don't know that poverty was as much of an impact on my life as what the abuse was. And... My dad was a very difficult man. When he was kind, he was the best dad in the world. He built us a fireplace out of cardboard one winter just so we had something to hang stockings on. And he made us tiaras and scepters and he would have tickle wars. However, as we got older, the times that he was a good man were much fewer and farther between. So probably about the age of seven is one of my first memories of my dad being abusive. And he had pinned me to the floor and was attempting to cut my tongue out for talking back to him. Mm. And I feel like from that point on, it just got worse and worse to the point where we were breaking bones and stitches and always making up excuses for what was happening. One of the worst aspects about that was that my dad always said that it was his God-given authority to intimidate us and to hurt us because he was the head of the household. And if we didn't do what he wanted, when he wanted, the way that he wanted, then we were yelled at and called names. And eventually that turned to being regularly beaten. The worst part of all that was that (laughs) you never knew what he wanted or when he wanted it. And so that was really hard trying to learn to read the situation and what kind of mood he was in and that sort of thing. I know one of the things that I didn't realize impacted me until I was older was his catchphrase for us kids was, you're not even worth the powder it would take to blast you to hell. And growing up, I didn't realize what he was saying. But when I started to heal from all of that, I was like, that was ingrained in my mind, probably from the time I was three years old. And that was something that was really difficult to overcome is that feeling of being worthless. And I know that 
a lot of nights. If our house wasn't up to his standards, he'd wake us up. He had a dowel rod that he kept downstairs and he'd wake us up by like pounding it across our backs. And I remember like taking turns, hiding under the bed if the house wasn't necessarily where we thought he would be satisfied. And we'd be like, okay, well, it's your turn tonight. And I know that that's had a huge impact on my siblings and I as we've grown up. I mean, even after I left home for years, I would still dream and have nightmares about him coming upstairs. And my mom, she is an incredible person, and she has rebuilt her life from the ground up over the last several years. But anyone who has been through abuse knows that it's always psychological first before it ever becomes physical. And I feel like she had been so beaten down and manipulated, and she was scared and didn't know what to do. And so she slept a lot. By the time I left the house, I feel like she was sleeping the majority of every day. And I would assume it was because of depression. Yeah, probably. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Absolutely. When all this was going on, did you have a sense or do you have any recollection of whether there was anybody outside of your home that had any inclination that all this was happening? I remember at one point I went to my friend Lindsay's house and I had talked to her. And unfortunately, (laughs) in their household, things were done similarly. They had a similar faith and it was the man's the head of the household and whatever he wants to do with and to his family that should be kept in the home. And it was really disheartening. But looking back now and speaking to people that knew us back then, because I am still friends with numerous people from that time period in my life, they Mm -hmm. had no idea at all. I mean, they could see the poverty, but we were excellent at being the model children, um, the model family. And my dad was so charismatic. I mean, he was kind to everyone. He was outgoing. He could make anyone laugh. Mm -hmm. And so seeing it wasn't, I mean, I don't know that that was even possible from the outside unless you were up close and getting close to people as homeschooled kids wasn't really something that we, that we did much. Mm, okay. Well, that's kind of what I was wondering because I didn't know if DFS would have ever gotten involved or anything when when it got to the point of marks being left on the kids. DFS did eventually get involved, not for several years, and they had come twice before my dad finally went to prison. But both times it was, well, we don't see enough for it to be a big deal. And then they left. And so that was, that was very difficult to deal with. And actually why I chose the major I did when I went to college, which was what social work. Okay. Um, I decided that my goal (laughs) and, you know, I was, I was young, but my goal was to take kids away from their parents. And I didn't realize all of what that yield and the system that you'd have to go through and the bureaucracy. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to kids. Yeah. If only it were that easy, right? Exactly. Exactly. And actually, when I was job shadowing with DFS, 
my senior year of college, we had to leave a baby with rat bites and at another house, like I could tell just by looking at these kids that they were abused, but there wasn't marks outside of where their clothing was. And you can't really ask, Hey, well, let me see other areas. We could say, Oh, well, within 24 hours, we're going to have an investigation. And so that gives them the time that they need to make up stories, which is what had happened in, in my household is they would call and say, because DFS was 45 minutes from my home. I lived in a tiny little rural town. Yeah. But they would call and say, hey, we'll probably be there in the next two days to see your house. So it was always clean the house, get your story straight, make sure that nothing was wrong and they couldn't see anything. And then after you could be deathly afraid of what my dad would do. Right. Well, and I'm sure living in constant fear <laughs> was one of the biggest things you dealt with then and now maybe. Oh, um, I would say then for sure. I mean, if you smiled or laughed or made too much noise, you could get beat if you were to cry or if you whined or if you didn't interact enough, then you got beat. If the house was a mess, you got beat. If the house was clean, he'd probably still find a reason to beat you. Yeah. Um, so like when he was home, we tried to stay out of his way, but we had eight children in a three bedroom, one bathroom home. So yeah. it wasn't always the easiest to stay out of his way. And I found myself out tunneling through the lilac bushes or sleeping in the mimosa tree during the day or reading in the trees because being inside was not a safe place. Right. Well, how has that affected you as an adult, do you think? Well, I think that as a kid, your gut instinctively tells you, like, this isn't the way life is supposed to be. But you, you figure out a way to process it and you think that you've moved forward or that you're going to change things when you grow up. And I realized that growing up in a violent home is one of the most traumatic things that a person can encounter because it it doesn't just affect how you feel about yourself. It affects the way that you relate to people, the way that you see the world. It affects the way you perceive everything. It teaches you that fear is the voice that rules in your world and that love is painful and that no one will protect you. Yeah. And those things get ingrained pretty deeply, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's like you feel the humiliation, you feel like it's your fault, and you also want to protect the life that you know. Yeah. And so you start believing that you're worthless and that you're all those things that your parents said about you. And you spend your time and you keep making these choices that just seem to prove that that's the truth. So instead of being angry toward the person that abuses you, my dad in this situation, I turned all of that anger, all of that sadness, all of that disappointment, all of that pain inward. And I learned exactly how much I could hate someone. And it created this legacy of pain because, you know, I, I got out when I was 14. I started couch surfing with friends and 
I determined that I was never going to be in that situation. I would never let him have that power over me again. I started attending public school and kind of just jumped from friend's house to friend's house. But I didn't deal with the underlying issue of trying to find who I was. I knew I wanted a better life. So I worked really hard. I made sure that I finished school. And I knew that I didn't want to leave kids in that situation. And so that's why I decided to get a degree in social work mm-hmm. and because I wanted to show kids out there that there was a better life than what I had. And I wanted to help people. Yeah. However, that legacy of pain tends to follow you if that's something that you're accustomed to. And if that's something that you haven't worked to break in your life. And so I got married very shortly after college and I thought I had found the most incredible, godly, hilarious, charismatic man on the planet. He was attractive. He was funny. He was going places. However, he was very much like my dad in the fact that that was an exterior front that he put on for people. And we got married three months after we started dating, which made me uncomfortable in the first place, but he kept pushing it faster and faster, which is a typical red flag of an abuser. Yeah. And it turned out that he was manipulative and abusive and the scars from his past had left him incapable of loving someone truly. And so those dreams, the white picket fence and the perfect happy family that I had had turned into nightmares. I had two kids with him. We had a stepdaughter that he had from his previous fiance. And we were trying to cobble this life together from all of our broken pieces. And that that never works. And it started out with little things. You didn't load the dishwasher correctly hey, why didn't you fold the laundry today? And those little things really quickly turned into bigger things. And so eventually the verbal abuse became physical. I did leave several times and I continued to go back because I thought, well, we can figure it out. I can fix him. If I'm just good enough, then I can make it right. And that never ended up being the case because broken people can't fix broken. And eventually I left in the back of an ambulance and he left in the back of a squad car. And I ended up in a battered women's shelter with my son and my daughter. And we went from this couple who was teaching in the church and who was you know, that charismatic family that you look up to and you think that they're perfect to basically being homeless with my two kids and no husbands. And that was a very hard transition. We left in pajamas and that's all we had when we went into the shelter. And that was what I call the best worst day of my life. Yeah. 
And I, I truly believe that it's those moments when we are broken and we are completely at the bottom of everything that we've ever known that we have to make a choice and we can lay down and we can stay there or we can choose to change our legacy. All I had known in my life was pain and I decided that I didn't want that for my kids. Now I had, when I went into the shelter, I had a a brain injury. I had a black and blue face, I had a broken arm. And so obviously I wasn't going to go out and look for a job at that point, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which was also a blessing in disguise because I stayed in the shelter. I learned what it meant to feel safe. And I learned that people could actually care about me. And I attended everything that they put on. And I found out I wasn't the reason that I was abused, not from my father, not from my husband. I was not the issue. And learning that was absolutely huge. It was so freeing. Today's episode is sponsored by Sunflower Benefits Group, benefits solutions for individuals, families, and small businesses. As a woman like you who once had to start over after divorce, I needed somebody in my corner to help me figure out how I was going to make healthcare work for me. I was faced with no longer being on a corporate plan like I had always been when I was married. And for me, I was also self-employed as a real estate agent and divorce coach. So there were no company benefits to lean into. And I hope you have that. But whether you do or not, you may need supplemental policies or just good old fashioned advice from someone you can trust. Connie Jabara was that someone for me, and I know she can help you too. I still contact her anytime I need an issue resolved with my medical, dental, or vision insurance or health share. And speaking of which, if you prefer alternative or natural medicine, Connie can really help you problem solve with out-of-the-box solutions like health shares and connections to direct primary care doctors. The direct primary care doctor movement is one you want to know about if you don't already. These doctors do not participate with insurance and will see you in an unlimited manner for a very low monthly fee and give you access to reduced cost pharmacy and diagnostics. Whatever your insurance situation, I highly recommend a phone consult with Sunflower. Call Connie Jabara at Sunflower Benefits at 913-356-9494 or visit sunflowerbenefitsgroup.com. Please tell her you heard about her on Starting Over Stronger. Now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I found a job. It was entry level. I actually worked at the American Cancer Society as an administrative assistant. And it was exactly what I needed at that point in time. And I was trying to go through rehab for my brain at that point. So I did 18 months of rehabilitation and lived in the shelter for 13 of those months altogether. And that was my beginning. That was when I decided that I was in charge of building a life that I wanted. I was in charge of building a life for my kids. And I started to realize and redefine what normal meant in my world and realigning my expectations to match up to what I wanted my life to look like. Now, still to this day, I do have to consistently remind myself that love doesn't look like pain. Because sometimes I get in this groove of even re-victimizing myself. And that's not what love looks like. And it did take me a long time to see life 
through other people's eyes um, because I had seen them through my ex's eyes for so long. And so I started digging into books and teachings about healthy relationships, abuse, recovery. I found people who could mentor me and lead by example and show me what healthy relationships looked like. And I chose to change my kid's future by changing my present moment. Now, like I said, I do still struggle with thoughts that that I feel like were forcibly shoved into my brain, but I don't believe that our past determines our future. I don't believe that anything we've come from is the guide to where we want to be. I think that we can change routes at any moment. And I'm so thankful for that. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't overly sensitive. I wasn't unworthy of a good life. But it took me some time to realize that because I had heard that my entire life. And I feel like that childhood that I had really set me up for the toxic relationship that I ended up in with my ex-husband. It was really eye-opening when I started thinking about what I wanted for my kids. I mean, I'm the primary caregiver, so I get to shape that experience for them. And I get to create my legacy. I get to determine what I pass on to those children. And I knew I did not want it to be that legacy of pain like my dad had passed on to me. I do want my kids to know about life. I don't want them to see it through this hard knocks lens, though. I didn't want them to come out at 18 being so beaten and bloody and bruised that they have a hard time getting up. And honestly, I didn't even want a mediocre life for them. I wanted them to see the world as it is. The light, the darkness, the contrast, the joy, the pain, the hope, the fears. I want them to be able to experience all of it, but I want them to be able to experience it from a place of safety. And I wanted to teach them what real strength meant. But in order to teach that, I needed to make sure that that was something that I embodied as their mother to teach them courage and integrity and grit and character and to show them what it meant to live life with passion. And that's the legacy I want to leave them. I want to leave them a legacy of passion and purpose. And there's still hard days. There's days when I don't feel like I deserve this incredible life that I have now. And there's days I get so tired thinking that chasing my passion, chasing that creativity is too much. It's so exhausting. But I know that that legacy, that bringing that hope and inspiring their creativity is is so incredibly worth it. Today, my nine-year-old daughter was creating a business plan for her (laughs) that she wants to own. And, you know, it was just amazing to hear her talk about like having this big dream of like she wants to do this. And the reason she wants to do that is so that families can come there and have such a fun time. And she was comparing it to a vacation that we took and what she liked about that to the hotel that she wanted to create for her business plan. And she's nine. And (laughs) I just really loved that. Those are the conversations we get to have. I'm going to (laughs) cry. conversations that we get to have or talking to my son about how worthy he is and how 
the choices that we make dictate the direction of our lives. And I stood up at some point and I said, I refuse to stay with the ghosts of my past and let these shadows determine the direction of my life. I don't want to live my life on anybody else's terms. And I have to be okay with the fact that I'm going to screw up. I'm going to make mistakes. And fear is always going to be there. But, you know, a full life is only given to you if you step out. And if you have the courage to say, okay, fear, thank you for warning me. But I'm going to do this anyway. And we're going to see how it turns out. And so I choose every day to be brave. And I don't want to be that little girl who is cowering in the corner anymore, hiding who I am, hoping no one can see me. I want to be bigger than my past. I want to be bigger than that legacy that was left to me by my father. And so I just pray every day that the life that I lead is one that leaves a legacy for my kids of passion and vulnerability. And that when I speak to women, when I speak at these events, when I paint something, that that finds the person that it's meant for and that it lets them know they're not alone. And it it gives people strength and helps them to live in their own passion and helps them to choose their own legacy. Because I truly believe that everyone can choose their legacy if they're willing to step out. Today's episode is sponsored by Katrera Law, helping people when bad things happen. Kansas City divorce attorney Nick Katrera has been offering strong yet compassionate legal representation for almost two decades, voted best of the bar seven times, and the coveted super lawyer three years running. He's earned these honors as an effective litigator who works hard to avoid litigation where fair settlements are possible. Every case is different. Kutrera Law successfully tries or settles cases where both parents gain substantial, meaningful contact with children or which a parent's visitation is restricted based on the best interests of the kids. Also, increasing or decreasing child support based on present financial circumstances. Each case is litigated according to its own merit. The choice of an attorney is a personal decision that should not be made based on advertising alone. As always, Starting Over Stronger Coaching recommends interviewing a few attorneys before making your selection. If you are in the Kansas City area, I highly recommend making Nick Catrera one of those calls. Call Catrera Law at 816-525-5226 or visit CatreraLaw.com. That's C-U-T-R-E-R-A-L-A-W.com. Please tell them you heard about them on Starting Over Stronger. Now back to the show. Yes, I agree very much. Wow. Well, thank you very much for sharing all of that. You are brave and you are choosing your legacy. And I know that anyone listening here today is going to be inspired to do the same in their own life. I just have kind of a few questions just to kind of help the listeners assimilate, you know, what you've shared about your life into their own lives and mm-hmm. how they too can cha- choose their legacy. Um, I'm curious, first of all, what would you say was kind of the light bulb moment for you when it all clicked that you were repeating the past and keeping yourself in a victim role? Or was there more than one moment like that? There was definitely more than one moment, but the first one that I remember was 
I was sitting in the computer lab at the shelter and I was applying for jobs. My face was finally healed enough that I felt like I looked presentable and I didn't want to keep my kids in a homeless shelter forever. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm sitting at this old computer, just clickety clack on the keyboard. And I got an email back um, and they said, we want to interview you. And it was interesting because I had a degree, so it wouldn't seem like that was a big deal at that point. But the idea that I could take care of my kids was so foreign to me because of what I had been told repeatedly throughout my marriage, that getting that email was a light bulb moment that things could change and that I didn't have to continue in this lifestyle and that there was, there was hope for something more. And I think that that was just that foundational building block that I needed because as I have grown over the years, there have been hundreds of little moments along the way and nothing was, it was just small things like that, like getting an email that says, Hey, this is possible or reaching out and saying, I think that you should meet this person or the moment that I painted my first painting was actually when I got out of the shelter and it was just a nagging from a dream that I had had that said, Hey, you should paint this. And it bothered me enough that I went to Walmart and bought some cheap paints and painted the picture. And Mm -hmm. that picture launched my career as an artist. That's really cool. And so I wouldn't say it was one big aha moment. It was just these small moments along the way where I continued to build myself up. I continued to look for people who would pour into my life. I continued to look for a community that was uplifting. Mm -hmm. That was actually going to be my next question is how did you get the support (laughs) you needed to be able to take those first steps of walking out of that? So... When I left, it wasn't an ambulance. Um, I am so thankful for the patient advocates that sat with my kids while I was in the hospital because typically my kids would have been taken away from me. But uh, a lady from my church had called a kid's shelter called Isabel's house and my kids were placed there until I could recover enough to take them to the battered women's shelter. And then... From there, I actually sought out relationships that could help. So counselors, and for a long time, it was very lonely. It was therapy and people from work and people that I didn't necessarily have the ability to be close friends with. But I was also still in such a guarded place that I don't know if I had the capability to be close friends with anyone. And so it was those building blocks of, okay, you can trust this counselor to tell you the truth. Okay, you can trust these people to work with you and for it to be cohesive and all right. Okay, maybe you can go to coffee with this person. And even building friendships was kind of a challenge, but I was able to find people in the community who have been absolutely incredible and find resources. And now I'm so 
grateful that I have the opportunity to kind of guide people in that same direction. That's awesome. Well, you've mentioned that it was pretty lonely there for a while. Imagine that you had some feelings like you were the only one dealing with this, like you couldn't imagine or comprehend that there were thousands of other women that were dealing with this exact same situation in different places in the world. Absolutely. When you're in that place, it's so hard to see outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. For me, that meant sitting there and sometimes being like, why? Why me? Why Mm -hmm. did this happen to me? What is wrong with me? And you go through these, these thoughts of there's no way anyone else can have it as bad as me. I do think that being in the shelter made that a little bit easier for me. Yeah. It didn't make it any less lonely. Right. That's true. And I guess, you know, one of my questions was going to be whether there were any missteps or fallbacks for you, but I guess because of the intensity of the ending of your relationship, you may not have dealt with that in the way some do. I mean, obviously there were probably many times before that ambulance that, you thought about leaving or considered it or maybe tried it and came back. Yes. But once it happened, then obviously I think it was, it was clear enough then that it needed to end. Right. Actually, when I was in the shelter, I remember them telling me they wouldn't give me a police escort to go and get my clothing and stuff from the house. And he had only spent one night in jail at that point, And then he was released on, on, bail or bond. Mm -hmm. And so he was out and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go to the house myself. And one of the thoughts that I had was, I'm never going to be able to take care of my kids on my own. This is impossible to start over like this. And maybe I should just call him and try to figure it out and see if he'll forgive me. Hmm. Okay. And so that was a thought in my head. And it wasn't just one time that I thought about that. It was several times as that it was very hard to start over. And he had a, a good job and his family was in town. And I knew that things would be much harder. I don't have family here. And I knew that things would be much more challenging if it was just me and the kids. And so I did have to make a choice over and over again that I was worth it and my kids were worth it. And that wasn't something that I wanted for their life or for mine. And it was worth whatever you had to give up to climb your way back out of that. Absolutely. I am so grateful for my life today. Yeah. Well, I have to imagine, and you talked a little bit about this, that you still deal with you know, some limiting beliefs and old stories and old tapes, as they sometimes call them, that replay in your head and try to suck you back into that victimization. How do you deal with those today? I really try to pay attention to what I'm thinking. And I'm getting better at it as the years go on. But just acknowledging those thoughts. So one thing that I recently learned was that your negative emotions are valid. And For me, that was such a foreign concept. You know, it was always, okay, I want to push forward. I need to be positive. I need to be happy. I need to do this. I need to do that. I don't have time to stop and cry. I don't have time to be sad about this. I don't have time to be angry. 
But those negative emotions are like a toddler who's yanking on your hand saying, hey, 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 pay attention to me. And until you pay attention to them, they're going to keep on doing that. But if you take a moment and you acknowledge those negative emotions, you acknowledge those intrusive thoughts and you say, oh, that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting way to look at it. And you investigate it a little bit and you say, why are you thinking that? What's happening right now? Is that a healthy thought? Is it true? And when you take the time to acknowledge it and to to look at it, then that helps tremendously with not falling back into those old patterns. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there's there's lots of different schools of thought on how to process those types of limiting beliefs. And in fact, we're going to be doing an episode on releasing limiting beliefs soon. So we'll get into that a little bit more in a future episode. But, you know, generally speaking, what you just described is exactly what the recommendation is, you need to look at the thought or the feeling and figure out where it's coming from, what actions it's causing, what results are coming into your life as a result of that thought or feeling, and then kind of work your way back from there. You know, what results do you want to have? What actions do you have to take to get there? What feelings is that going to give you? What thoughts is that going to create and and kind of get back to a place where you're creating the circumstances that you want to happen by changing the way that you think about something. And, you know, so there's a lot to that, but we'll get into that more later in another episode. I kind of want to just know if you had to choose one thing, for the listener to take away today from your story, what would it be? We don't get to choose our destiny. However, I do believe that our choices determine the direction of our life and that direction determines our destiny. And so every choice matters and you make tens of thousands of choices every single day. So being present and acknowledging the choices that you're making in your life will absolutely change your life. Yeah, I agree. Well, listeners, uh, join me in a collective sigh, if you will. That's This has been quite a ride. <laughs> Shannon has a powerful story. And the truth is that you do too. Whatever you've faced or are facing, your story matters and telling it matters. So if you would like to tell your story, either here on this show or on 7billionones.org, or even just telling a friend to start with, I hope today has inspired you to do that. I may have said 7billionones.com in the opening, but it is .org, just as an FYI. And if you would like me to make a personal introduction to Shannon, I would be glad to do that. If you'll just send me an email at Annie at startingoverstronger.com. If you do contact her directly, please let her know that you heard her on the Starting Over Stronger show. And remember to check out 7 Billion Ones to read more amazing stories like Shannon's or to tell your own maybe someday. You can read Shannon's story at www.7billionones.org slash Shannon dash legacy. And I have to tell you, just arriving on the landing page there on that site and scrolling down through all the faces is a powerful moment of realizing just how many people from all walks of life are telling their stories of survival and recovery. If you would, please take a few moments today to like, follow, review, and share the Starting Over Stronger page on Facebook at SOS Divorce Coach Annie on Instagram and this show here on your favorite podcast app. 
If you were to do something as simple as clicking the share button when you are listening right now, just as you finish listening to the show each week and share each episode on your social media, other women like you who need this help and don't know where to find it will discover us here. Also, you can visit startingoverstronger.com to learn more about private and group divorce coaching to get all your questions answered and help in developing a plan to get your needs, goals, and desires met as you go through your divorce. You don't have to trudge through it feeling lost and overwhelmed. One of my slogans is you can divorce well and then live well. And I believe it because I did it. If you don't already know, as a certified divorce coach, I do walk alongside women facing these exact scenarios that we've been talking about here today to walk out of a life of pain and heartache into a life of peace and safety and away from abuse. I can help because I've been there and I've done just that. And I've made it my life's mission to help as many women as possible to do the same. If you're exiting and recovering from abuse as you divorce, please reach out. A discovery call is my gift to you, and you can book it on the site. Remember, wherever you are in the divorce process, if you're even just thinking about divorce, or you're in the middle of it, or you're out of it, but you're just still struggling, starting over stronger coaching, real estate consulting, and podcasts are all here with the help you need as you divorce and the hope you need as you are starting over stronger.